We always have a blast chatting with our guests about all sorts of different topics, but sometimes we go off the rails and dig deeper into their automotive and motorsports pasts. As a bonus, let's go behind the scenes with this pit stop minisode for some extra content that didn't quite fit in the main episode. Sit back, enjoy, and remember to like, subscribe, and support BrakeFix on Patreon. So the 33 Stradale, since you mentioned that, what do you think of its successor, the Alpha 4C, which is inspired by the 33? Yeah, no, I think that's a great car. I love, I love that car. Yeah. I, I was is it just, a collector car yet? They stopped making it. Uh, it, it was will, low, per, low production numbers. You know, I, I look at it like one of the very, very first Lotus Elises that got imported into the U.S. was imported by somebody that I knew and I got a ride in that thing and it blew my mind but you look at it and it's like it's a Toyota engine in the back and it didn't matter it's like when you look at a complete driving experience that Lotus Elise was it and I think that Alpha 4C is more a Lotus Elise than any Lotus product today it's just a little ripper it's lightweight stiff awesome suspension it's meant to just go fast around corners but it's not going to drop anybody off the line it's not going to do anything like that it's a driver's car but it's going to put a smile on your face yeah and it makes the right sounds and you know it's a harsh ride it'll beat you up because of that carbon tub that they put it in but it's a full carbon tub that's amazing at that price point there's nothing else that even comes close to it in my opinion yeah and there's a great segment on one of those how i built this type shows on history in which they actually single out the alpha 4c and how it's built and it's one of the few production monocoque cars and all this kind of thing it's incredible how that thing is built i mean i was mesmerized and it's like a, a half hour episode so i highly recommend it but <laughs> that, that's an interesting question keep going i want another one. Oh, geez <laughs> I have a I have a list of them. Let's see. Are you into any motorsports? Do you watch any motorsports on TV? Oh, I grew up watching motorsports. Yes. Yes. A thousand times. Yes. Okay. So then your favorite discipline of motorsport. So that could be uh, Formula One. It could be World Rally. It could be drag I was, racing. I have, say, I have to say like Formula One is the apex. And that's the one that I've watched. Actually, I started with IndyCar. Um, okay. I'm an older fella. And Says I the remember, guy who voted for the Countach. You're, we're all in that same bucket. Yeah, but uh, yeah, back, <laughs> back in the day, like the Indy 500 was a national holiday to me. In fact, yep. I liked it more than Christmas itself. It was like, I got more excited about that race and it was on ABC's Wide World of Sports. And then on ABC's Wide World of Sports, they showed the, the Monaco Grand Prix one year, like when Jackie Stewart was racing. I was yep. like, oh my God, that's crazy. So so I kind of got into that. I would say four the one if, if you had to say, but- I think Formula One is kind of an abomination right now in terms of like the cars are too kooky and esoteric and they don't sound good. And the racing often isn't as competitive as you want it to be, although this year was by far the exception that was excellent. But for the most part, it's like usually there's one make that just dominates everything. So if you pin me down, it would be Formula One. I really like the quality of racing and the cars and the driving skill of IndyCar, I think is coming way up really really fast it's great but i have to tell you the one that i find the most compelling of all motorsports nowadays is moto gp watching those guys the racing is close it's very driver oriented tracks favor different bikes so you get different you know suzuki's won't even be in the top 
10 for three weeks and then all of a sudden they're on the pole and winning the race because whatever the, the characteristic of that particular track is. And I just love the athleticism of it. I would honestly say MotoGP is my favorite. Even though I have nothing to do with motorcycles, I don't own one. I've never even really ridden a motor- motorcycle. To me, it's the one to watch. Again, listeners, the cheese stands alone in that I am the only WRC fan on the planet, I think. <laughs> <laughs> of all our guests and all our episodes, Rally never gets any love. It's just me. But <laughs> no, Why isn't it more accessible on TV? It is if you if you just okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna say it again. Red Bull TV app is free. Everything is 4K, and they have amazing coverage. You can watch an hour long recap of the race. You can watch the entire race live. You can even watch from the cabin of the car with your favorite driver. The coverage is beyond good. Word out on that. Like I'm just not. I'm, I may not be paying attention, but I I spend a lot of my days uh, in the car world. I love rally driving. I think that's an awesome sport. I I love it. Like the Isle of Man TT. I love like no fear is, those guys. You know? The most insane sporting event that is allowed to exist today. I mean. I'm very fascinated by those open road race, the 50s, the Mila Miglia in Italy, thousand mile open road race. When you say open road, it was on roads, but there was no traffic on it. So the Isle of Man TT just preserves that little, that fearlessness, that bravery. And it, in some ways it's stupidity, but back in the 50s, those open road races, they had a reason to exist because that was how technology was being pushed forward. We had astronauts in the US, but Nobody over there had astronauts. They didn't have space programs. They didn't have jet pilots because they were demilitarized. I mean, it was like they had race drivers and those were the brave men. They were the people that risked their lives, but they also drove technology forward and pushed us to places. And it was measurable. Like when you drove the Mila Milia in 10 hours, like Sterling Moss did, that's an amazing accomplishment. Pretty epic. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think the rally racing, like you're talking about, kind of is in that category today. It's like there is a lot of physical risk that you're taking in those cars, more so than any Formula One driver. Oh, heck yeah. And the skill and just like you're seeing stages for the first time or you don't have a, there's an instinctual driving that really is rewarded in that discipline that I admire it. I just, yeah. it's not in my wheelhouse of watching it, but now that you're kind of making me want to check it out. Yeah. And I grew up in the group B era. So I have a fondness for that. And I always wanted to be a rally driver. And there's some just iconic names in that discipline that, you know, have yet to be replaced. I mean, yeah, there's, you have the Colin McRae's and you have others, but you know, the Walter Whirls and the Michelle Moutons of the world and, and all them. I mean, there's amazing drivers and, and it's hard to replicate that era of rally, especially, I mean, I watch all the modern stuff and, you know, Thierry Neuville is awesome and, and uh, Oit Tannock and all those guys they are amazing. They're phenomenal. The, the machinery is totally different. It's like, you know, Jackie Stewart era formula cars versus, you know, what Lewis Hamilton's driving today. It's night and day difference. Now I would argue, you know, we get into that. Who's the greatest formula one driver of all time. So I'll ask you, who would that be in your oh, opinion? That's an easy one for me. Fangio. Really? No, I'll tell you why. He raced in an era where death was imminent. And he survived, right? <laughs> yeah, he survived into well into his old age. So if you even survived that era, you, ha- you had to be special. And he won consistently. He was as dominant as Hamilton, as dominant as Schumacher in his time. 
in that day, he had to be so far ahead of everybody else because he never, he only had like one serious accident in his entire career where he had to be hospitalized. And, you know, people were dying like practically every single race in that era. So his skill level was so far above everybody else. So he had that drive and he was racing when he was like in his mid to late forties. So he was older. And the thing though, that I love about him is he was a mechanic. He knew what was going on in his cars and he would actually repair them. He would tell the mechanics. He had such a mechanical sympathy that it's unrivaled. Nobody even has anything close to that nowadays. And the best story that I can think of him, well, there's two. One is when they did this big race down in South America, which is basically an open road race that was Mm -hmm. like, imagine a 2000 or 3000 mile rally. A lot of it was on dirt roads and things like that. And you were on your own. It was like point to point. There weren't support vehicles and crap like that. It's like you go from Buenos Aires to, you know, Montevideo, Chile. When you arrive, you'll be checked in, you know, and you, you have a day to sleep and then you kind of do it again. In the middle of one of those stages, he threw a rod through his engine block. Now, anybody who knows an engine knows like that's just the end of the line, not for Fangio. He was a mechanic. He went, he found a welder. He welded his engine block shut and got the car back on the road and finished the race. And I think he didn't win it. I think he only got second because he was down a cylinder. He wasn't able to get that cylinder firing again. But how how do you do that? You know, at no but there's no racers that really think like that. And then the other one is he was doing the Mila Amelia in an Alfa Romeo and about two thirds of the way into it, a steering rod came loose. Like it broke. One wheel was kind of like wonky and he finished the race. He was going full speed. Cause it's like when it was at speed and going straight, it just tracked. So when he turned, if he was turning one way, the one wheel that worked would dominate the other wheel. But when he turned the other way, he had to like feather his brakes and do all of these mechanical things to keep the wheel from like, misbehaving and he finished the damn race in second place everybody else would go i'm not risking my life for this but he just he had a a level of as i said already mechanical sympathy that i just think no one like very very few people have had unless you actually built your own cars and and knew what was up and you know since we're still talking about it on our little pit stop minisode here why don't we discuss alfa romeo since you are a member of the portland alfa romeo club you know, they've been dormant for quite a long time. Obviously, there was a resurgence when Fiat and Chrysler merged, and now they're part of the mega, you know, the mega umbrella that is Stellantis. And there's all these rumors about Alfa Romeo. Obviously, we see Alfa Romeo in Formula One now. You know, the brand is on the comeback. We had the 4C, the Giulia, the Stelvio, you know, all these kinds of things. What do you think about the future of Alfa Romeo here in America? Obviously, you're more intimate with it than we would be. We like to keep up with it, but I want to get your thoughts on Alfa. Yeah, it, it, that's a great question. You know, I think Alfa Romeo is like a car guy's car. Ferraris are flashy and Porsches are flashy. Like they're real cars and they're great cars. They're awesome. But there's also a status that you get out of it. Alfa Romeo doesn't bring you status, right? It's it's such a really a non-brand here in the U.S. And I, and I don't know if that's ever going to really change, if you want my honest opinion. I think it's going to have its core cult following. And, and I think, you know, the new Julia that's out is a great car. It wins against BMWs and Mercedes AMGs and all those sorts of things. It's an incredible car, but they don't have a great dealer system. It's hard here in Portland. We have one dealer and he's just not that good. Whereas 
why would you pay for that hassle when there's five Mercedes dealerships that can handle your car and take care of you? So for Alfa Romeo to succeed, it needs a, a strong dealer network in that they don't, Stellantis just doesn't seem to have that idea in mind. And it does fit a brand slot for them, kind of like Stellantis has Fiat's and launches and Alfa Romeo could sit nicely in like a Lexus brand, like the Japanese do, like equivalent, where it's like a, a modern tech forward spirited kind of interesting car but oftentimes i've thought like other people have said in reference to bmws bmws are a little bit more pedestrian right they don't bring the status either although we've made them status items here you know in the united states it's taken 40 years for that to happen because you know back in the day yuppies and stockbrokers bought bmws right that kind of thing but that being said, Alpha is kind of the Italian version of BMW, right? Yeah. It's more of a driver's car. It's more blue collar, if you think about it. It's more affordable, but you can very quickly, you know, like a 155 T6 and things like that, turn it into an amazing race car. And BMW and Alpha and Mercedes competed against each other in DTM forever. One of the most contested rivalries almost of all time. Oh, yeah. And so they know how to build a car. And much like, you know, the M, you know, even though Alpha really doesn't have an M division, it's they, they put that kind of spin on a lot of their models, and I think they go underappreciated. But unfortunately, we never got any of those cars. All the good ones were kept overseas, right? So I see where you're where you're going with that. But I also see that you know Stellantis, with the influence from Fiat, right, which owns Ferrari and Lancia and Maserati and the Alpha and all of them now, but also bringing in the French, right. Peugeot and Citroën and whatever, once this mega conglomeration kind of finds their feet, you know, there's all these rumors flying. Peugeot is going to come back, you know, this and that. You know, they sunset the 124 Spider, the new one, because maybe the Duetto is on its way back, you know, all these kinds of things. So I see potential for Alpha and I'm excited, right? What I don't like is the tease that they gave me a few years back when they introduced the GTA, you know, the 147 GTA here in the States as a TCR car. And it's like, I am ready to go throw down as many paychecks as I can to go buy this car. And I'm never going to get my rear wheel drive hatchback. I'm really kind of mad about that. To your point, they need to get out of their own way. Yeah. <laughs> or, or as some people say, get their head out of their ass. Yeah, right? No, but- no it, it, you're exactly right. And it, like, to me, it isn't a product problem. It, it's a dealer problem. Right. If they were able to spin that up or piggyback on another brand's established dealerships, I think it'd be cool. And like the F1 tie is real. That was a brilliant move on their part, but I still, I don't think they're totally supporting it, at least in the US with the dealer, but also the product line. Like if you're going to do an F1 car, you need to up your game a little bit and have something that's more like the 4C where it's like, you've got to have a sports car. So what you're saying is not a reskinned Ferrari F1 cars. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, and, and give it its own identity. I mean, one of the things that makes people into Alfa Romeos, myself included, is first of all, the history of the brand. It's almost unrivaled. Like they really- It's older than people realize too. It's been around for a very long time. Without Alfa, there would need no Ferrari. I mean, all of these things are true. And even in the fifties and sixties, like the Alfa Romeo GTVs, and I have a Julia Super now, it's like those kick BMW's butts and Porsche's butts in like touring car series and things like that. I mean, it wasn't even, they just hammered them because they were super reliable. Wait, can I hear that again? An Italian car that was what? 
super reliable. Like, <laughs> those little uh, inline fours that are in the, the 105s and 115s are chain-driven dual overhead cams, man. It's like, it's good stuff. And they had awesome suspensions and they were very tunable and, and all of like that. Like a BMW, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and everybody has their own little tribe. But, you know, I think if they were to stick with it and have the cars available and have them be supported and then put a little bit more emphasis on some exciting product like have a have a little limited edition kind of high-end sports yeah. car to go along with your now euro sedan kind of thing and their suv products are actually really good they're very competitive but again where are you going to get it go fixed you know you don't want to have to worry about driving well, 40 miles or you want your car to be like dropped off and picked up in the afternoon not well there. see and, and here on the east coast we have a very different perception of it because all the alfa romeo fiat dealers that are here are right alongside the chrysler dealers so for right. us you drop it off in the same place yeah you're going to take home a minivan as your loaner vehicle for the right. day or a 300 or something i guess our perception you know in the dmv specifically it's really not that hard to get your alpha serviced because you're just going down to the local dodge dealer yeah, and that quite hasn't met up with what we're experiencing out here on the, the West Coast. Well, hopefully it will soon, but I yeah, will also... That would be great. And, you know, I, I honestly, I hope it's good that it's back, but they, it's been spotty at best in terms yeah. of how you would call it success. When they first came in with the Julia, what was that, four years ago or five years ago now, the four-door sedan, it actually sold quite well. People wanted an alternative to the regular old BMW or the regular old yep. Mercedes, right? And Audis. It's like you had all these German things. And then this hot looking, kind of exciting and more performant, visceral experience arrived. And people were really into it. So I think if they were able to, to get more of them here and support it better with advertising, I mean, when's the last time you saw an Alfa Romeo ad on TV? You it's know, so good. They don't need to advertise. That's, the, that's the Italian way, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's the utmost arrogance. They can't tap into the heritage. Like they did run some ads and they kind of like had all these pictures of Fangio driving a, a 1950s Alfa Romeo. And it's like, People here can't believe. No, they should have showed a picture of a GTV6 rotting in a field, right? I mean, that's yeah, the heritage exactly. we have. <laughs> like going the touring cars, right? Like yeah, exactly, exactly. Cars. Those were cool, you know. Like they don't know what they want to be when they grow up, and until they figure it out, or Stellantis figures it out. Which, by the way, it sounds like the worst disease. Yeah, right. Uh, it should come with a disclaimer. <laughs> I got my little foam donut because I got a case of Stellantis. If you experience Stellantis, please yeah. consult the doctor immediately. It lasts like, more than four hours. Yeah, right. <laughs> Get out of here. But, you know, that that's fine. But what I do find funny about all this, and we we do keep close tabs on Stellantis on the drive-thru. We actually talk about them quite a bit because there's really not the big three anymore. It's Chevy and Ford. And whatever the hell Stellantis is doing, because what they've done is they've closed the chapter on Iacocca's vision, right? Of becoming a global car company. He wanted to do that in 1982 for Chrysler. He was like, you know, he wanted to partner with Volkswagen and create, you know, this global car company, whatever. And it's finally been realized, you know, 40 years later. And that's awesome. And I love that. And I admire Iacocca. He's one of my heroes, you know, well ahead of his time, all that kind of thing. But what I do see and we keep tabs on is the waters are so turbulent over there right now. There's a lot of things that are kind of falling through the cracks and they're teasing us with things. But what I've really glommed onto recently is 
and we joked about was how long were they going to keep producing 800 horsepower, gas guzzling, Hemi, Chargers and Challengers and Durangos and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then finally, a couple of months ago, they said, you know what? All right, guys, party's over. We're done. We're going to sunset all these cars. And you're like, wait, what? Excuse me. And then you kind of start putting two and two together, right? Because there's multiple CEOs. There's a CEO of Chrysler and CEO of Alpha and Fiat, and they're all different. And the CEO of Alpha steps up and he goes, not that I'm saying anything official in a very Italian sort of way, you know, you could, you know, talk out of both sides of his mouth and he goes, but I'm very interested in seeing the GTV come back. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So the sports cars on the Dodge side are being put down. Maybe this is alpha's opportunity to come in with some sports coupes to come in with the duetto, you know, yeah. things like that. And if they shuffle the deck the right way, they might, you know, in the next two or three years have eight or nine different cars that are available on a dealer lot. Yeah. And, and I think if that comes to pass, <laughs> you can also see him doing a, a deal where it's like kind of like the BMW. What is it now? The Toyota. Oh, the Supra. Yeah. Yeah. The Supra. Which the is Zu- Supra with the, with the Z. It's with, right, with the right. Z. <laughs> That's the, I was getting it backwards. You know, I could see them doing some things where they like have two different platforms and one is right. like, you know, hey, it's under whatever brand you want to. You know, well, like, like the 124 Spider, right? I mean, it's a Miata. We all know that. It's much wider and more comfortable, but it's got the Abarth 500 power plane in it, which is cool. Super tunable. You can make 300 horsepower easily. You you know that kind of stuff so you know who knows whatever they do it just needs like some commitment and they just have to stick with it because I, I think they tow dip and they eh, it's still not warm enough i don't know if we should go in yet it's like no you just kind of like if you're gonna do it if you want to be big here you can you just have to invest there's like an old italian saying it's like a limerick type of thing and i won't say it all in italian but it's it's called fila bedita and basically it's all about this woman and they tell her you know to get her motivated to talking about doing this hokey pokey and they're like oh you know come on hurry up it's oh well it's too hot and my my fingers are sweating so i can't today and they're like okay come on bedita you got to do it today. Go, oh i can't you know it's too cold outside now my fingers are freezing right, right. And, it, and that's and it's such an italian thing yeah. and i think it it encompasses exactly what you were explaining yeah. no, right. <laughs> it's exactly right and you know i i think they just need to yeah they need to figure it out and I don't know. I, I kind of worry for Ferrari a little bit, the brand. Um, uh, you know, and, and and we talked about this with Lamborghini and Bugatti, you know, the hypercars, how are they going to adopt EVs and the power plants and, and go away from these, well, let's call them hybrid hypercars they've been building, like the LaFerrari and things like that. I mean, is this model sustainable? You know, are there going to be cars that are going, you know, brands that are going to be going away? I mean, how does Bugatti survive this EV revolution as, as an example. No, that's going to be a big question. And I'm, I have to say I'm over this whole hypercar thing, like the LaFerrari, the the McLaren P1 and the Porsche, what was it? 916, 918, 918. Yeah. Just like put an end on it. Now everybody seems to be cranking up one and it's like, whatever, any Tesla can blast any of that. Yeah. Cue the subsequent Hoonigan drag race at random, you know, drag strip. Yeah. It's like, why is that the thing that we're aiming for? You know, cause that's not driving. You can't use those cars and people who actually try and use them die. It's like they're They're big in the Arab States. So, uh, you know, they're, they can make money on them hand over fist over there. So (laughs) Awkward pregnant pause. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so before I forget, is there anything oh, yeah. we missed? Anything you wanted to cover? Oh, no, that was, okay. that was that was that was that was a lot of fun. I mean, it was just fun hanging out with you, and uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Some interesting questions. We were able to go deep into stuff, so I can't I can't even think of one thing that we didn't cover that we we should okay, have. Good. We have an open door policy. So if you ever want to come back on, talk about something, you want to take some of those newsletter articles and turn them in, into an episode, we'd be happy to house you. It actually helps out our schedule. You want to come on and co-host, maybe be part of one of our drive-throughs. We always like to invite, you know, previous guests on to be part of the, the news episode that we do, you know, get your, your insight and your feedback. It is a lot of work. I will warn you ahead of time. Okay. I like it. If you like what you've heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out on www.gtmotorsports.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Grand Touring Motorsports. Also, if you want to get involved or have suggestions for future shows, you can call or text us at 202-630-1770 or send us an email at crewchief at gtmotorsports.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, everybody. Crew Chief Eric here. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Break Fix, and we wanted to remind you that GTM remains a no annual fees organization, and our goal is to continue to bring you quality episodes like this one at no charge. As a loyal listener, please consider subscribing to our Patreon for bonus and behind-the-scenes content, extra goodies, and GTM swag. For as little as $2.50 a month, you can keep our developers, writers, editors, casters, and other volunteers fed on their strict diet of Fig Newtons, Gummy Bears, and Monster. Consider signing up for Patreon today at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. And remember, without fans, supporters, and members like you, none of this would be possible.